Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. and welcome to our deep sea domain this is under consultation an episode by episode podcast type situation through the uk's greatest video game challenge tv show games master though not for this episode i am one of your hosts luke owen the host of one of the 50 podcasts you should listen to before you die and doing this podcast may actually be my cause of death if this evening is anything to go by I am Ash Versus, and to peel back the curtain briefly, this is our second attempt to record this podcast, and this is now involving a video call on WhatsApp and us going old school and recording our audio separately with a clap. So, if this episode sounds weird, you now know why. Although in fairness to us, it's amazing it's only happened like now. We've been recording remotely now for two and a bit years. And this is only our real, like, first big issue we've had. We've had internet outages before, but we've not had internet outages with the, to be blunt, oh shit, we won't have an episode to go out if we don't get this recorded type situation. Yeah, I'm I'm actually just going to read directly a text message you sent me uh, sort of about 10 minutes ago that just says, fucking, fucking, fuck, fuck. I think there was a fuckity fuck in there, wasn't there? Was it just fuckings? (laughs) No, it was just fuckings. It was just fuckings. Clearly, I'd I'd lost the ability to be lucid enough to go with fuckity. Anyway, uh, we're taking this as our second side quest episode. It is our second of three side quest episodes that we're doing. There'll be one more next week as we await the tome to arrive in our hands, the Games Master Oral History, which will serve as our palette that we need, our good like base of research that we need for the upcoming episode nine, the Dave Perry incident, the Super Mario 64 episode. So we wanted to wait till that was in our hands at the time of this recording. It still is not in my hands. Nor my hands. Some copies have apparently arrived. 
I believe they are either contributor or promotional copies because the first review's already out there. So reviewers have got the book. Uh, contributors have got the book. The books have been sent. But much like my internet connection, they are currently somewhere else. Somewhere out there. Damn you, Royal Mail. Or but we will Yodel, have the book in our hands. Or yeah, DPD. Loads of different places. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we are just awaiting the books to arrive in our hands and then we will crack on with the Dave Perry incident and then we can just look ahead to the rest of Series 6 and into Series 7. It'll be plain sailing from there because that bandana-wearing fireworks factory is so close, Luke. It's so damn close. So what we're doing today instead is looking at uh, another article from the 50th edition of the Games Master magazine, which is a very important milestone that it's reached. And it's an article titled the 50 games to play before you die. Now, I always find these sorts of articles very interesting anyway, because I think they're a good topic of conversation. I understand that there are people on the internet who get mad upset at these sorts of articles. The Guardian, I think Keith uh, Stewart came under massive fire in the last number of years because he did his like, you know, top 10 PC games or top 10 N64 games or what have you, top 10 games of the 1990s. And without fail, there will be people mad as arseholes that the game that they like was not featured on this list that is just a list of things. But for me, what the interesting thing about this is this is the 50 games to play before you die in 1996. And I would wager when we get into this, there will be games on this list that would not feature now in a 50 games to play before you die had it been written in 2022. Absolutely not. I mean, there are some games, spoilers on this list, I'm amazed, made the list in 1996. Yeah, some of them do feel like filler entries, which is weird. I think I think I know some of the ones you might be talking about, potentially. We'll see. We'll see. Point them out as we get there. But there are some where I feel they're there because they're new. That, well, that's kind of more what I mean, yeah. They're, they're new and they represent the highest of this level at this point in time. But yeah, we're absolutely going to get there. Some of the games we will skim over because, spoilers, Mario 64 is on the list. We've talked about that a load. And hey, guess what? In two episodes time, we're probably going to talk about it again. But there are other games that have just never been on our radar. There are some games on this list that I briefly forgot existed. So we'll... We'll take a bit of a closer look at those. So we'll kick things off. This is, to point out, not in any order. As far as we can tell, the way that the article is written, this isn't in any order. This is not a 1 through 50. This is just a list of 50 games. So we're just going to approach it as it is written in the magazine. They even put a disclaimer at the beginning of this article, which, in a move that is very smart, even in 1996, does not include a credited author. But it, the introductory paragraph ends with... This isn't a best of, so don't fret if your favourite game isn't included. Although one could argue, Luke, if it's 50 games to play before you die, it probably should be a best of. It's like no one's going to put, no, you, you shouldn't put Rise of the Robots on here just because like, well, you should play that before you die, because guess what? It bobbins. Yeah, it's supposed to, it starts, it, it kind of asks the interesting question of the difference between a great game or an interesting game that you should play or something that's got a very interesting mechanic to it that means you should go out of your way to play it. But I suppose even with those two caveats, they are more or less the same thing. Yeah, it, it it's. I think it is essentially there to stop them getting the grief. Although, Luke, 
I will be watching the letters page through issues 51 through probably 56 or 57. So let's kick things off. Our first entry on this list is Super Mario 64, a 3D platformer for the Nintendo 64. Managing to be both a showcase and a dapper game in its own right, Super Mario 64 creates a genuine 3D playground and then lets you run, jump, climb, swim, and fly around it. You've seen the pictures, but only by playing it will you understand the analog control, the freedom of movement, the sense of exploration. Super Mario 64 is also the first game to abolish pixels. It's simply too smooth. Soon, my pretties. Soon. Brackets. And I'm adding this in, unless you get it on imports. But why would you do that? You know, as a marketing manager, Luke, why would you do that? Well, it's impossible to get it on imports. Only a Kirk could have it on imports. The first video game to abolish pixels feels like a weird statement. And also, looking at the textures of Mario 64, particularly in the present day, there's a lot of pixel going on there because some of those textures are quite low resolution. And before people or Cliff get angry, I'm not saying that's bad, I'm just saying it's a limitation of the technology at the time. I think a better word they could have used would have been sprites. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, it also makes sense that this is on the list because not only is this a game you should play before you die for 1996, like this is the most exciting game of this generation. Like this is the game that everyone is talking about. It's the game on everybody's lips, every gamer's lips. So it totally makes sense that not only is it on this list, it's right front and center uh, in front of us to talk about here. So it totally makes sense that it's here and... I can only like, I mean, I remember the excitement around it. And actually, you know, we'll, we'll talk about like what games would still be on these lists now. This would still be on a list now. If you wrote a list in 2022, this would still feature on it. Absolutely. And I would say this is definitely on a games to play before you die. Although I would say whether you play it on original hardware, emulation, or Switch Online, or as part of the uh, Mario 3D All-Stars package. If you can, make sure you play it with an N64 pad or an N64-like pad. You can play it with an Xbox controller, but you're missing out on at least some of the dealio. I mean, next on the list is a game that I think is fairly near and dear to both of our hearts in many ways. It's Buster Move! Bracket 2, a puzzler by acclaim for the PS1, the Saturn, the SNES, the Neo Geo CD, and many, many more platforms in the future. Aim and fire coloured bubbles at a si- Good start. Aim and fire coloured bubbles at similarly coloured bubbles to dislodge them from the screen. Who'd have thought this would create the versus match of champions? If you should happen to die before you see it, don't worry. They're surely playing this up in heaven. But what the set for Series 5? <laughs> exactly. Ooh. Oh, hey, do you think that was a clever little joke? Do you think they deliberately wrote no, that no, in I, there? I, I don't think they did. But, you know, still, it works out quite nicely, really, in a way. I, I just want to clarify as well, because you said at the start there, this it's listed as Buster Moves, brackets two. What they've done there is they've actually said both Buster Move and Buster Move 2 are in this list, because they often, they often group together series as one entry. Yes. Definitely. And the next entry is also similar. And I'm absolutely fine with that. I think that is a pretty smart move, especially with something like Buster Move, where at a base level of gameplay, they're the same sodding game. Yeah, pretty much. I've only got one gripe with this list, 
uh, with that idea, but we'll come on to that a little bit later on. Actually, it'll be much later on. It's much further down this list. Um, but yeah, you are quite right in saying that this is near and dear to our hearts, very near and dear to my heart. This was one of my first two PlayStation games that I had when I get the system in 1998, I think I get mine. Um, so yeah, I adored, adored, adored Buster Move 2 and played the absolute shit mm-hmm. out of it as well. So this is... Ooh, I mean... Do you think this would still be on a list now? I think yes. This game or a similar point-and-shoot puzzle-type game, because there are many imitators out there, some of which do interesting things with the mechanic. But for me, Buster Move or Puzzle Bobble, depending on what you want to call it, is just one of those evergreen games. Like, I've got the Saturn downstairs... Do you know what do you know what games I spent the most amount of time on, Luke? Um, Virtual Fighter Kids. <laughs> nope, it's Buster Move. <laughs> Up next, we have Doom Brackets Two Final Ultimate, etc. 3D Blaster on the PC, PS1, the 32X, the Jaguar, and the SNES, and many, many more. Oh, what a surprise! Yawn. No, come on now. Imagine coming across somebody who'd never played Doom. Could you reasonably explain the leap from Wolfenstein to this? Convey its link-up or network deathmatch fun? The gusset-warming anticipation of sidestepping into unfamiliar corridors, shotgun ready? The only way is to play it, and most of you have wisely done so. Now, let us recommend it to those few saps who haven't. We should almost keep a tally on here how many times the Jaguar comes up in this. Actually, I'm the 32X for that matter because I don't think it'll be a lot. Uh, It will not be a lot. And obviously there are many other platforms that this game could be played on. As you mentioned, this includes Final, Ultimate, etc. I would say this should only count for Classic Doom in this bracket because obviously Doom 3 is a bit in the future, but it's, it's okay. But there is something about the core original Doom experience that is just so special, so magnetic. I've got it. I've got it on my PC got it on my xbox i've got it on my switch i've got doom i've got doom 64 i've got that original style of gameplay and i bloody love it to answer the question of should it still be on the list hell yeah hell being the operative word i like that i think this is is this the most iconic pc game ever it's the game that gets like it's almost a bit of a running meme online of like what can you get to run doom like i've seen atms run doom i've seen like you know uh, mcdonald's ordering kiosks running doom and things like that like i feel it is the most particularly that first doom not so much doom and ultimate and final and things like that but i think doom in its original form might be one of the most iconic pc games if not the most iconic pc game of all time i would be inclined to agree it certainly really revolutionized what pc gaming was thought of because while wolfenstein 3d did do a lot of what doom did with nazis doom was the finesse doom was the mass appeal doom was ultra-violent gore and horror. It was a video nasty in PC form. And it was an experience that, for a while, could only be had on the PC. And just to speak of iconic, and I think I'm right in this, Doom, in its original form, so Doom, Doom 2, Final, Ultimate, etc., is the only game to appear on Classic Games Master and New Games Master when Grado is introduced to Thatcher's tech base. 
That's right, yeah. And I know we had a Street Fighter in the new Games Master, but that was like a new Street Fighter. This was Doom, 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 Doom. This was just, <laughs> it was just Doom with a mod, but that mod wasn't doing much that couldn't be done back then. This one's a very specific one. Multiplayer Arcade Daytona. <laughs> A Road Rager by Sega for the arcade. Advances in leisure technology have never been more apparent than when the Classio Arcade started replacing Virtua Racing with Daytona machines. High-speed texture-mapped thrills in increasingly beaten-up cars, enhanced exponentially by squeezing a handful of human rivals into small seats, this remains a superlative multiplayer experience that shames more recent efforts like Touring Car. I love that this is specifically multiplayer arcade daytona they're not saying daytona is a game to play before you die but playing it multiplayer in the arcade is something you should experience now i mean speaking of times when i was shitting bricks over tech issues before the first under consultation live you got to go upstairs and hang a little bit uh with some of the under console nation and i know hog heart of gaming where we were having that kind of like pre-show gaming session had multiple daytona machines did multiplayer Daytona action go on that you witnessed? It did not. We just played a lot of Super Smash Brothers and then played the Simpsons arcade game. And then everyone went to go and get food. I am, like, thoroughly disappointed. Not only in you, but in everyone else as well. You've let down the brand. Because how can you resist... We've let down the... Games Master issue 50. you let down Games Master issue 50. How can you resist the allure of that repetitive Daytona? Daytona. Exactly. It's in your head. It lives there rent-free. Nothing more to say on Daytona. I love it on the Saturn. I love it in the arcade. It's a bloody great game. The soundtrack is absolutely killer. The soundtrack is on Spotify. That's how good the soundtrack is. I've actually only played it on the Saturn. So the next time I'm either at Hog or we do another live show there, I'm actually going to make it... I'm going to go out of my way to do a multiplayer arcade experience of daytona just so i can tick it off the list it is absolutely worth it even if you absolutely get wrecked on it which i will do it's fun it's just fun it, it's just something about the whole package experience i've played flashier racers i've played newer racers in the arcade none of them are as much fun up next is the first game on this list that I've actually not played, Terra Nova, a strategy game by Virgin on the PC. Strong plotting and thoughtful missions make this real-time 3D skirmish an absolute winner. But the graphic depiction of the power-armoured squad under your orders is so demanding that you shouldn't even consider it unless you've got a top-of-the-range PC. Elitist and worth every penny. And that'll be why I didn't play this game at the time, because I did not have a high-end PC. This game was just insanely demanding of its day and it's not surprising because it is very very much a first it's often been cited as one of the first kind of squad orientated games with 3d graphics so before that a lot of squad orientated games would be two-thirds overhead your cannon fodders your syndicates your stuff like that this was first person you're moving more into your kind of strategic first person 3d shooters and that's in 1996 I don't think I encountered this kind of game until the mid-2000s, which shows how long it took for them to, I guess, kind of, one, 
get it right and for me to get a gaming PC that could probably handle it. Much like you, I never played this game. Uh, those that did seem to love it, like critically, very, very well received. Uh, it was compared to MechWarrior 2. It had some really impressive full motion video sequences that were actually so complicated and difficult to shoot. It pushed back the development of the entire game. The one criticism it did get from the critics was the system requirements. It was almost considered like a steep learning curve of you had to know how to have your PC operating this finely tuned to get the performance out of this game. And while 3D graphics cards, we've talked about them, they are there, they're coming, they're just edging their way in. This is still at the time when most people just had processor, memory and a hard drive. They might have a TV tuner card if they're a bit flashy, but 3D graphics cards, whew, that wasn't happening. No, this was never happening for me. Not at the time, not a few years from now either. No, it. despite all the critical acclaim, the high system requirements did it in. It sold over 100,000 units, but it didn't even recoup its development costs. And as a result of that, there was plans for a sequel and they were canned. I also don't think this would be on a list now. I, we didn't mention this for Daytona either. I don't think Daytona would be on a list of games to play before you die written in 2022, but I don't think Terra Nova would be either. I don't think Terra Nova would be uh, because it's been surpassed and by games less technically demanding. Regarding Daytona, you're right, it wouldn't be on a list today, but I think it should be. Up next, Tomb Raider, 3D platformer by IDOS slash Core for the PC, Saturn and PlayStation 1. Pleasing irregular 3D caverns, sumptuous textures and an intrepid sense of exploration have already made us clutch Tomb Raider to our bosom. Well, see what they did there. Comparisons with Mario 64 are inevitable, but you do better to imagine the mechanics of Prince of Persia, brackets, running leaps, ledge grabbing, switches, spikes and sliding blocks, close brackets, transferred to a very well-realised third dimension. Besides, when did you last see Mario somersault into a room with both guns blazing? I, I can't imagine that there are there were a lot of comparisons made between Tomb Raider and Super Mario 64, other than that they are both 3D games, but they're wildly different 3D games. That's an, that's an insane comparison to make. I know I went to school with at least one person who made that comparison, and they're the same person that was just telling me constantly, Nintendo 64 is going to beat the PlayStation. It's coming out. It's going to beat the PlayStation. In fact, he didn't call it a PlayStation. He called it a name which I'm not going to repeat now because it was pretty bad then and it's even worse now. But he would dog on anything. He would dog on the PS1. He would especially dog on Tomb Raider and he would say, oh, they're just ripping off Mario 64. And it's like, no, mate, they're really not. Look at timelines. Also, as pointed out there, when was the last time you saw Mario somersaulting into a room with both guns blazing, apart from in the original cut of the Super Mario Brother of the Super Mario Brothers movie from 1993? Possibly. Um, I did like the clutching Tomb Raider to our bosom line. I'm like, oh, that was actually fun. That was that writing was so clever. It makes me wonder about the Buster Move in Heaven line. I think if this was a list in 2022. Tomb Raider 2 might be on the list, or certainly one of the, the more recent remakes would have been. I think if they wanted to put a classic one in, it would have been Tomb Raider 2, but probably more likely it would have been that that really decent remake. I've not actually played it, but I've, I've heard that it's very good, the remake. The first two remakes in the trilogy are great, the recent ones. Uh, the third one, you can tell some key creative staff left uh, because the plot is awful and Lara Croft goes full white saviour mode. Uh, but the first one is so fun and so immersive and you actually do something that I've never really done in a Tomb Raider game before you connect with the character 
you kind of empathise with her because while she's still running, jumping, shooting, bow and arrow, she does also have a vulnerable side. She is often alone and she's young. So it's kind of got that got young vulnerability. It's almost tickling the bits of my head that don't like seeing children in peril in things. Um, I'm not sure the first one would still be in the top 50 either because it's a great game. But boy, the controls have not aged well. That can be said of a bunch of games that still exist in series name today, is these versions that appear in this list, the controls have not aged well. Up next, we've got Syndicate Wars Action Strategy by EA slash Bullfrog on the PC, PS1 and Saturn. Build up a team of cyborgs, give them ludicrously anti-social weapons and trot them off to an isometrically viewed future ghetto to perform theft, arson, assassination or bodyguarding. Still deliciously amoral, Syndicate regularly encouraged drive-by shootings and suicide bombings. This Worth sequel boasts grittier graphics and network mode. The original is worth tracking down on budget, even if 21 century LA looks like a Milton Keynes sports centre. I like how they do say you can still get the original on budget because Syndicate Wars is a bloody good game. Uh, I remember playing it on the PS1. I remember going to a friend's house who had the first Syndicate on the Amiga and being blown away by that. Not, not in the same way that the people in the game were blown away, but I was also blown away by how Blade Runner-ish it was. I was just beginning to really understand what Blade Runner and Future Noir were and Syndicate Wars provided a lot more of that. Weirdly, given how much this game has come up during our time talking about Games Master, it was developed using a heavily modified version of the game engine used for Magic Carpet. I wonder if you, like, I don't know, jumped into... jumped off a building, it would turn into a carpet, and then you crash into the sea and it would turn into a submarine game. But they did a lot in this game to bring it up from the original. They did a lot of work on the AI. Enemies wouldn't just act independently. They would work together as a team. So you had a team of cyborgs, but the opposition would also function as a team. And it was a big leap over the original because in the original, it was a case of every enemy would act independently, meaning that they would sometimes just all do the same thing because that was just how they were reacting. They were acting with no awareness of the other people around them. It was originally going to be an exclusive for the PlayStation, arriving at the end of the first half of 1996. But it was actually released for the PC. And the PlayStation version didn't arrive until 1997. So they've been a little preemptive listing it here because it will be on the PS1, but not yet. And another way in which they jumped the gun, Luke, guess what? What's that? The Saturn version was cancelled in 1997. What a shame. It could have turned it around for them. Do you know the reason it was cancelled? Failing Saturn sales. Yep, the Saturn market share was not large enough to cover development costs. Yeah, of course it wasn't. I think everyone had come to that conclusion by that point. Time Crisis, Shooter, Namco, Arcade, not even giving the PS1 the nod at this point, which is ironic given what they just did with Syndicate Wars. Shooting gallery games don't work at home. Too easy to learn by root. Okay, I guess that explains the lack of the PS1. But a few credits of this, and you are Chow Young Fat. Neat suits, well-stocked guns, the addition of hiding cover pedals being just the first of many welcome additions to the genre. And if you spend your quid in it most heartily, you will come away very refreshed. Yeah, so I think what they're saying here is that you need to experience Time Crisis in the arcade rather than do it at home. I would 
agree. I would say that they're wrong saying shooting gallery games don't work at home. I think they do, but I think they either need to be reworked or redeveloped to have more value-added content for the home. Die Hard 2 is a great example from Die Hard Trilogy. That works as a piece of home entertainment. Time Crisis, yeah, even though you could get aftermarket guns with the foot pedal mechanic, there was something quite special about being able to play it in the arcade. There still is. We used a time oh, yeah. crisis in our promo video. Absolutely, yeah. Particularly two-player. Like, that is, it's a, it was a firm arcade favourite. Time Crisis 1, 2, you know, it was a firm arcade favourite for me and my friends back at this point in time. Although, if you do go and play it in a modern arcade where it's on free play, two-player or two guns? Up next, Command & Conquer. It's a war game by Virgin on the PC, Saturn and PS1. Demanding quick strategic decisions and real-time control, CNC has ousted Dune 2 as the finest action war game available. Build up your troops, give orders to each unit, and react quickly to enemy retaliation. A covert operations data disc currently expands the PC version, and we await the forthcoming prequel with wetted lips. Oh, yes. I love Command & Conquer. I love Command & Conquer Red Alert. I even quite like Command & Conquer Generals. You can still play them today. They're still bloody great. The Command & Conquer Anniversary Edition that came out a couple of years ago for PC with the kind of the new graphics, but the same gameplay style, I thought was a beautiful, beautiful remaster. And what, what can I say? This deserves its place on the list here. It deserves a place on the list now. That, that's, all I've, that's all I've got to say about it, really. It's just, it's Command & Conquer. If you don't know what Command & Conquer is, go out, find a copy, educate yourself. It makes war games fun. I don't think Syndicate Wars or Time Crisis would be on a list in 2022. I think Command and Conquer or certainly Red Alert would be on there. Like, you know, when they sort of add in some nostalgia picks, like I think Red Alert probably would get a shout, maybe above Command and Conquer. But I think it is well worthy on its list here in 1996. Also, something that we haven't mentioned, or at least I haven't mentioned with Command and Conquer uh, in all of the courage we've done on the podcast... What a fucking soundtrack this game has. It has got an incredible score. All of them do. That is one mm -hmm. thing I'll say. Is oh, yeah. All Red of the Lord, Command and yeah. Conquer games. I, I The biggest jar I found with the Command and Conquer series was when they went full 3D with Generals. I still enjoyed it, but I don't think I sunk as many hours into it as Red Alert because suddenly I was pissing around with camera angles. I didn't need to do that before. Up next, woo, here's a franchise that will become very important in a few years' time from 1996, Warcraft 2 fantasy war game by a little publisher called blizzard whatever happened to them luke uh, i believe they became a big load of bollocks oh that was it big big load of hairy bollocks but very expensive and rich bollocks luke very rich but this is for pc and mac and there you are chief of a proud orc nation exploring the edges of your settlement when you suddenly come across a dirty tribe of human invaders filching your mineral deposits 
So build those defences, advance orcish war technology and declare genocide on their filthy pink flesh by juggling your manpower in real time. Diamondism? Multiplayer networking is intense. Or you can play all the solo levels from the enemy's perspective. There you are, chief of a proud human nation. <laughs> That's a nice little way to say it because obviously you can be human or orc. Although the correct answer is to play as the orcs in, in Warcraft 2. Absolutely. It, it always is. This was a game that kind of ran straight into production after the release of Warcraft Orcs and Humans. That came out in November 94 and less than three months later, Blizzard were working on Warcraft 2 from February 1995 and it was released that December for MS-DOS, so your PC. The Mac got a version in August of the next year. I actually think I had the Mac version for my first PowerBook, mm. so that's going towards the end of the 90s. Originally, this game was going to combine modern and fantasy elements, so you'd have like fighter pilots in jets being ambushed by fire-breathing dragons. I've seen Reign of Fire. That's crap. That wouldn't have worked. I'm glad they got rid of that. I I haven't played Warcraft 2, crikey, in a number of years, but I really, really liked it. I'm not a big fantasy guy. Um, Lord of the Rings is not my jam, uh, which is funny, really, because I do play D&D, but like that's not the the fancy setting is not the appeal of, of D&D for me. Um, I just I've, I've, not, I've just never really been a fantasy lad. However, I really, really liked Warcraft 2 as a game. I thought I found it a very, very fun uh, real time strategy game. I, I, maybe I loved Command and Conquer a bit more, but I had a good time with Warcraft 2. I never played Warcraft 1, but I did play the second one. I was going to say, it's really interesting to have Command and & Conquer and Warcraft 2 back-to-back on, the list, on this list, because Command & Conquer being on the top 50 now, whether it's the original, the anniversary, Red Alert, whatever, I don't think there was any debate between us over that. But Warcraft 2? I'm sure there were some people that would go, of course it would be there, you, you, you simp. But I'm thinking, if I had to pick between a Command and & Conquer and a Warcraft 2, I'm going to go on a Command & Conquer because Devil's Advocate, someone who's played and liked both, Command & Conquer is a lot easier to just drop into. Warcraft 2 is great, there's loads of expansions, both official and unofficial. It's still got a community today, but I don't think I'd pick it up just for a quick blast. No, I, don't, I think I'd probably pick a Command & Conquer over it. Also, I think now when you look at it from a modern day perspective and would this be on a list now, it would just it'd be World of Warcraft, I would have thought. Like, I think that would just be the standard that would go on a list these days. Up next, we've got Duke Nukem, a 3D blaster on the PC. Uh, at last, a tongue-in-cheek Doom clone with so much crude machismo that you'd need Kurt Russell to play the lead in any spin-off movie. The monsters aren't anywhere near as frightening enough, but there's enough gameplay inventiveness here, shrinking and freeze guns manually detonated bombs to make it a contender in its own right. Kurt Russell playing Duke Nukem is a categorically terrible idea. Kurt Russell would not be a Duke Nukem. No, absolutely not. I mean, for starters, the John Carpenter movie he's taking his lines from was the Roddy Piper one, not the Kurt Russell one. But everything else they say about this is true. You know how I mentioned earlier that I've got Doom on my Switch, I've got Doom on my PC, I've got Doom on my Xbox... Guess what else I've got on at least two out of three of those? Duke Nukem 3D. Duke Nukem 3D, not Duke Nukem Forever. I have that on 360 <laughs> disc. It sits in the bottom of the wardrobe and is never talked about. But Duke Nukem 3D, a lot of the humour has aged like a fine murder. Tonally, it is all over the place. I think there's a lot of people that take it far too seriously or don't appreciate how tongue-in-cheek it is. But the gameplay 
still works today. And it, it's crazy. There is Doom and there is Duke Nukem and there's also Quake, which I can just start a new game of that. And the first two levels, I can almost run through with my eyes closed. I wouldn't do it for a joystick challenge, but it's that muscle memory. And Duke Nukem 3D is one of those. And I just love the way the guns feel, the way the aiming works, the pig cops, the jetpacks, the shrink rays, the big boot. And I also, I get a lot of memories of playing it around this time, of like playing it with headphones yeah. on just in case. Yeah, it, it does it does ring the nostalgia bell does duke nukem that memory recess of like yo i remember playing that at the pc and you can picture exactly where your pc was in the house and all that sort of stuff uh, yeah i think the tongue-in-cheek nature of it does need to be taken into consideration it is very much a product of the 90s uh particularly this period of the 90s as well and it's sort of that's where it belongs which is why i'm very curious about the movie version of Duke Nukem 3D. We've talked about this before on the podcast about how you would do a Duke Nukem movie in 2022 and the idea would be to do it as a fish out of water, man out of time story. Basically, Demolition Man. In fact, yes, it, it would almost exactly be Demolition Man. You could just deep fake Sly's hair blonde and Demolition Man would mostly work. You put Simon Phoenix's hair onto Sly Stallone. <laughs> Just after I said deep faking it, my brain went, oh, shit, that would have been a better joke. And then you started saying it. Damn it, Luke. You're, you're, you're coming up with better ideas that I also thought of at the same time. But no, uh, Duke Nukem 3D, does it belong on this list then? Absolutely. Does it belong on it now? Oh, it wouldn't be on the list now. It wouldn't be on a list now because Doom would be on there instead. And they wouldn't have both of them on. Yeah. I, I, I don't think this would. And I actually think... There are other games that use this engine, the build engine, I think it was, that are better than Duke Nukem 3D. Uh, they're better examples of how to use the game engine. Wipeout 2097, Danny John Jules' favourite game, a racer by Psygnosis for the PlayStation. For a racing game, there's not much of what you'd call handling, but with the trackside flips toned down and a new checkpoint structure, it's a major improvement on the slickest future racer in the world. Instead, you get speed, more speed, and the occasional sense of wonder at the ability of the human nervous system to handle such a powerful raw influx of energy. I think this would be on the list today. I think Wipeout 2097 would get featured. I absolutely concur. Either Wipeout 2097 or a future iteration, um, Wipeout Fusion for the PS4, which really is just the best of all of them. And it also has the option of the literally nauseating VR mode. I remember Oof. as soon as it came out, I was like, "Oh, they've got to add a they've got to add a VR mode to this. That would be ridiculous. It would make people throw up through their noses." And it did. Up next, we've got the Tekken series, a 3D scrapperoo by Namco for PlayStation and Arcade. It can and will be beaten, no doubt. But for the time being, Tekken is king. Casual players and part-timers tend to prefer the first, but the sequel plays a less cheesy kind of game. Tekken would absolutely be there. Yeah, oh, Tekken would be, yeah. I, I Probably a more modern-day version of Tekken, like one of the later sequels. Um, I guess, like, I suppose I would say here, I'm surprised it's not just Tekken 2 that's listed. Now, you know, they talk about how, like, the second one is the best one. 
I would have thought they would just put, like, like they do with Syndicate Wars, just do the second one, just say Tekken 2. I guess it's because Tekken and Tekken 2 were released so close together. I mean, Syndicate and Syndicate Wars, they were far enough apart to be almost generational. Whereas we discussed this when Tekken 2 suddenly became a thing where it's like, hang on, we've only just got the first one. This is bloody quick. So I think putting the Tekken series in there, it does make sense because it's still a full price game. It hasn't gone to any sort of budget label yet because the PlayStation hasn't been around long enough. And yet, here's Tekken 2 in the arcade and in and on the PlayStation. Actually, I will just sort of rewind on what I said there as well, because the argument that they make is that there are the casual players prefer the first one, the hardcore gamers prefer the second one. So it is actually fair that both Tekkens are featured. I also find that comment very unusual because while I think Tekken 2 is a better game, I don't feel like it made like life difficult for the more casual player. But yeah, memory's a strange thing. Up next is Quake, 3D Blaster by ID Software. For the PC, the popsters at ID repeat Doom's success by creating their own clone with D&D death traps, underwater sections and jumping. The up and down action is lame compared to efforts like Bungie's Marathon, question mark, and some would claim disappointment at the pigeon steps taken since Doom, but if it ain't broke, give it new monsters and weapons and let the network players appreciate its godlike wonder. Pigeon steps taken since Doom? I don't think that's fair at all. You can tell this was written by the same person that lobbied for Marathon to appear later because I was shocked to see Marathon in there. I would say this is massive steps beyond Doom. I would say it's less massive steps beyond Duke Nukem 3D because while it's polygonal, like the up and down, the jump and the stuff like that, that's... That's stuff we've already got in build engine games. But yeah, I I find this very, very unusual as, as a tone to go, particularly because I just remembered, this is 50 games you must play before you die. And they're kind of like, meh, I suppose. This feels like, and the fact that Marathon does appear later on, that the writer of this, the uncredited writer of this, wanted to put Marathon, but it was argued that Quake has to go in. And this is like a, okay, fine, some people really like it, but it's not as good as this one. I suppose, look at it now. Where is Doom? Where is Quake? Where is Marathon? It's called Snickers now. Close. It's called Halo. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So in some ways they're right because we've got Doom, but where is Quake? And we've got Marathon slash Halo, which is a natural evolution because without Marathon, you wouldn't have had Halo, which was also Bungie. And even though it's now a completely different like group and whatever, you know, the developers have long moved on. It's still what started here. So I, I guess I kind of see where they're coming from. Although I would say that if you were doing a 50 games to play before you die now, I would more likely put Quake in there than I would Marathon, which we'll talk about later. And I think I would either put Quake, I might go to Quake 3 Arena, because that's really where it got good. It was the multiplayer experience, and Quake 3 Arena was just great. Up next, it's SimCity and SimCity 2000, a Mayor Sim by Maxis from PC, Mac, PlayStation, Saturn, and the SNES. With LEGO Simplicity, SimCity gives you the chance to build bypasses and hospitals, set taxes, or promote nuclear energy in your own little world. Then, by calculating the living conditions and reactions of the little proles, it lets you watch the results, fiddle with the proceedings, and experience the profound gratification or abject remorse that most public figures work a lifetime to discover. Damn it! 
civil engineering shouldn't be this much fun. All versions of SimCity are just as playable, which is why they've said SimCity and also 2000. I think there's probably more SimCity 2000, but that sort of last sentence there is, and also SimCity on the SNES is pretty good. It is. It's it's pretty good. I mean, the first version of SimCity I played was the SNES version where Bowser would turn up to destroy your city. I remember that. I loved that. I think that was a game I had the option of either borrowing that from my friend or Stunt Race FX. And I chose SimCity, and I think that was the smartest decision I could have made at that time. SimCity 2000 was a great escalation of that point. You had SimCity 2000, there was also SimCity 2000 Gold Edition, Special Edition, CD Edition, um, Network Edition... Uh, there was versions released for the Saturn. There was a version released for the Acorn. Do you remember the Acorns at school? Did you get Acorn? Oh, I the yeah, Acorn. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was SimCity 2000 for the Acorn. And amazingly, the Saturn version was one of the first games announced for the Saturn. It was one of the first console versions of the game. And it also got a massive graphics boost because they really wanted to show the power of the console's hardware. There was animations for the buildings in the building query windows. Uh, building appearance would change as time went on, so a building wouldn't look the same in 1950 as it would in the year 2000. They added FMV sequences, there were opening sequences, um, and it included the expansion pack, the Great Disaster expansion pack. So if you've got a mouse for the Saturn, it may be that the Saturn version is the version to play now. Probably not. That's just me kind of like stirring the pot. But it does make me want to pick up the Saturn version and go, ooh, let's have a go. But I do need to get a Saturn mouse. Um, the PlayStation version was actually similar to the Saturn, but they did remove some of the features, I'm guessing because maybe Sega had thrown them a little bit of the extra money money to get them some exclusives. I played a lot of SimCity 2000. I think I played more SimCity on the SNES, though. I, I actually quite enjoy It's a nice, relaxing little game, despite some of the stresses that come with it. It's a nice, relaxing time is is a sim city game very nice relaxing music oh i think we had this game mentioned earlier it's mech warrior 2 the 3d mobile suit sim by activision for pc playstation saturn and mac a western sally into japanese territory this does actually capture the flight sim complexity of piloting a 50-foot suit of jet-assisted battle armor and brings no small amount of fun to those who can cope with such we nearly got it as a challenge on Games Master, but unfortunately those EastEnders lodges couldn't build the PC in time. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, if they were struggling to build the PC, they probably saved us from a truly embarrassing performance because I think I played a demo of this or I played a kiosk version of this on either the PlayStation or the Saturn. Um, it's not a me game. I love MechWarrior and I love the robots and I love giant stompy robots. But I don't know. I I just didn't click with this game. It's it's not for me either. Um, I I and it wouldn't be on a list now. Like this would not be on a 2022 list. No, and no, and I I don't like the fact. It's like flight sim games, Luke. I wish I liked them. I wish I got on with them. But Luke, guess what? What's that? <laughs> they were developing a version of this for the Panasonic M2. For reasons of the system never existed, it was never released. Up next is Wave Race 64. It's a racing game for the Nintendo 64. 
It's hard to see how any jet ski games outside of the arcade will compare with the N64's chopping, splashy ocean physics that make your battle against the waves as fierce as that as against your opponents or the clock. This would not be on the list now. This is a game no, that is... No, it really would not. This is a game that's here now because it's new. Yeah, we've talked about this. We've talked about the limitations of this game, but graphically, it is very, very impressive. You know, it's a fun game to play, but even at the time, there just wasn't much to it. No, no, no big multiplayer on the game, which I still think is mad. The console's got four ports, and you're Nintendo, and you're trying to sell this idea that it's got four ports. Why only make it a two-player game? This game, this console, needs something immediately out the doors that uses those four ports. Mario 64 uses the analog stick. It's probably like, here is why the analog stick exists. Here are why the C buttons exist. Like, why why isn't Wave Race 64 the game to be, here is why this console's got four ports, what, before just wait till Mario Kart comes out? I mean, that's essentially what they ended up doing. Yeah. Civilization 1 and 2. It's a godsend by Micropose for the PC, Mac, Amiga, and SNES. Your mission to explore strange new continents, to seek out new life and new civilizations, and to murder them brutally and steal all their gear and ideas if they cross you. A bit of city management plus research plus wargaming lets you be the godhead of an entire empire over thousands of years, from messing about with clay pots to building starships, and every weekend for a month stealer. That last line is exactly why I do not play Civilization. You lose too much time into it. It's not to say it's a bad game. It's a good game. It's too good a game. It's a game where you can lose weekends, you can lose months, you can use lose you can lose years. I know someone that I think is still playing Civilization 2 at this point. It's still one of their go-to games, which is crazy. Other civilizations have been released since then. But no, Civ 2 is where it's at for him. Up next, we've got Mario Kart. <clears throat> Bloody hell. Up next, we've got Mario Kart, a racer on the Nintendo. Very clear to point out, this is Super Mario Kart, not Super Mario Kart 64. Cutely silly go-karting that did more than just show off split-screen mode 7. The balloon game was still being played in this building last month, and if this 64-bit version merely duplicated, then some parties won't feel too disappointed. Mevdink's Trick Racer did come so close. I like that they mentioned that Street Racer nearly made it onto this list, but it's just never going to be as big as Mario Kart. Although they do let you know that, hey, it's out there, and so any Saturn owners reading this could be like, ooh, I'll check out Street Racer. Would Mario Kart be on a 50 now? Yes. Which version? I don't know. I don't think it would be the SNES version, personally. It wouldn't be the SNES one. It would be any of the ones previous. Like, it would be 64, 8, any of those ones. I still prefer 64 to any of the more recent ones i don't know what it is but there is just something about 64 that just lands home with me and i think part of it was we talked about four player action four player mario kart 64 there is still something kind of almost primordial about that experience same as goldeneye on the four player on the nintendo 64 even though there are better games out there now it was the experience like Daytona, talking about Daytona earlier. There is something about that basic experience. I bloody love Mario Kart. I always will. I would also pick Mario Kart 64 over any of the modern day ones. Not to say that any of the modern day ones are bad because they're very good, but they are just the extra little bits being put on the buckaroo. Whereas I think that Mario Kart 64 was 
everything that you needed in a game. It was Mario Kart from the SNES, but in 3D with some bigger tracks and stuff. And then, like, you know, I like some of the bells and whistles that have been added since, but the simplicity of 64 is what draws me to it. Absolutely. And just the simple addition of having ups and downs, it just made the game so much more interesting. It made it less flat. It was doing proper 3D courses, admittedly with 2D racers, but it felt like a full world rather than skating around on a flat surface. Although it does have the worst Rainbow Road. Yeah, I'll give you that. It's too long. Street Fighter series. Mmm, fight. Capcom, Arcade, PC, PlayStation, Saturn, Amiga, SNES, Mega Drive, comma, etc. Because, boy howdy, that is not even exhaustive. 3DO should also be in there. Uh, PC Engine could also be in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're short, short time away from Street Fighter 2 appearing on the Game Boy. This depth integrity passion sadly some gamers have never taken the time to appreciate the qualities behind the increasingly passe graphics of capcom's finest yeah i know luke just made an expression i empathize old street fighter 2 turbo remains a personal favorite for many but street fighter alpha 2 is the choice for 32-bit we need say no more i suspect it's a bit of a yoda sentence at the end there i'm hoping i typed that out correctly but i think i probably did <laughs> yes street fighter had to be on this list it had to be and like as a way to kind of include everyone every street fighter game is just included within here if you like the old the quote-unquote old timey old, uh, street fighter 2 turbo or the new timey street fighter alpha there's just always something great about a street fighter game unless it's the original which is bobbins yeah it's when it said street fighter series and i'm like oh this really should have been one you did brackets of two alpha etc rather d- d- don't don't risk including including the original also this technically includes ex but i would say as well like you know they didn't include one you know said like you know they haven't said go out you're playing play one no one's playing one at this point no one's got access to one at this point there's very few people reading this magazine that will know how to get hold of street fighter one and that's probably for the best because it ain't that great it's it's well mate would this still be here now yes should it just be street fighter series rather than singling out an individual entry also yes because if we start at Street Fighter 2 and go all the way up to the upcoming Street Fighter 6, if you like fighting games, there is a Street Fighter for you. If you like it simple, if you like it basic, if you like it classic, pick anything from maybe Street Fighter 2 up to Super Street Fighter 2. If you like something hyper-technical, go for your Street Fighter 3s. If you want accessible fun, if you want accessible 3D fun with a really good online component, Street Fighter 4. And if you're a masochist, Street Fighter 5. I think Street Fighter 4 would probably be the one that would end up on... Like, if they had to just pick one, I think Street Fighter 4 would be the one that ends up on a list. I love Street Fighter 2. I lo- oh, I forgot to mention the alphas. I love all the alphas. They, they are right. The art on the alphas is beautiful absolutely stunning and three oh the three animations so good i love four unashamedly i know there were some fans that never switched over to it but i can hear the music in my head i can see the animations i used to love spending a friday night on xbox live playing street fighter four matches against random people around the world playing as dan and making them rage quit by daring to win a round great times 
up next, specifically multiplayer Bomberman, aka Dino Blaster. It's a bomber sim by Hudson, available on the Saturn, Amiga, SNES, Mega Drive, PC Engine, and Arcade. Forget the solo mode. It's God's divine will that Bomberman will be enjoyed by as many people as possible at the same time, and this is what you absolutely must experience before you finally peg it for good. Experts prefer the cool power-up selection of the first game, but number three, a version of Bomberman 94, is more readily available and allows up to five players at once. Wahey! Wahey, the lads! It's Bomberman, innit? You're fine as long Bomberman, as you don't end up with the keyboard on the Amiga version. Bomberman is, like, one of the greatest multiplayer games of all time. Spoilers! As and when we hopefully do under consultation live too, and if we have some live challenge element, which is something we've talked about... Have to be a Bomberman challenge, mate. Has to be on there. Has to be. Has to be. I don't know which version. More to the point, I don't care. We've got to have a Bomberman challenge. And I really, really hope someone blows themselves up in the first five seconds. Would it be on the list today? Hmm. I think the the various versions of Bomberman 94 probably would be. I don't think the modern version would because... No. It, it oversources... It oversources the noodle. It, it's just, uh, it's too much and it's not as great as it should be. Up next, Sega Rally. Vroom, vroom. Sega, Saturn and Arcade. Though slightly less interesting than Daytona in its arcade form, it beats it hands down in terms of the quality of home conversion. A bit lonely on the track sometimes, but that should just convince you to collar a friend for the amazing split screen mode does have a very good split screen mode i will give it that as mostly i've played it solo i mean i always feel a bit lonely with that game anyway in fact i do with most games so oh sad times but it's a fun game yeah as, as we mentioned with daytona earlier i don't think this would feature in a list nowadays just because i think the racing games have sort of surpassed this arcade era um, but like from you know from a 1996 perspective, both Sega Rally and Daytona being on this list just completely makes sense. Of the two Sega races we've had so far, I would say Daytona would be on the list over Sega Rally purely because it's got a great multiplayer experience, it's got a great single player experience, and the soundtrack is better. Up next is Yoshi's Island, a platformer by Nintendo for the SNES. Hardware stretching effects, enormous bosses, a huge beat. Uh, beastery? A huge beastery of enemies with different properties to discover, all deliberately stylized with a look of Charles Dreamy crayon sketch. Smaller than Super Mario World, but more fun, this shows Nintendo stepping into a save the reputation of platform gaming. What I really like about this list, like, with the amount of SNES games we've had on this list so far, like only a handful of Mega Drive games, but even then they've been Mega Drive games that are multi-platform games as opposed to a specific Mega Drive title. I think this really does go to show that Games Master was always more SNES than they were Mega Drive. I would agree. I mean, we've still got a good chunk to go on the list, but I love that this game is here because we've had Mario 64 already. Yoshi's Island, even now, is still carrying the flag for mostly 2D platforming. Uh, the, the more recent titles have kind of delved into depth of field, but I remember Yoshi's Island on the SNES. I remember Yoshi's Island on the Nintendo 64. I loved Yoshi's Island 64. That was so good. I love the graphical style. I love the fact that it's very much like a cartoon drawing or kind of soft, safe, children's plaything kind of world. I love how it gives Yoshi real development as a character. He's no longer just a weird kind of 
subservient creature that gets punched in the back of the head repeatedly. It It's really, really lovely to see it here. And they're right, it is smaller than Mario World, but I would argue it is perfectly formed. I don't remember a moment in Yoshi's Island where I'm like, oh, this is dragging. I think, though, this, this I like that it's on this list here because it's a very 1996 thing to do. But if this was a list in 2020 or 2022, rather, it would be Super Mario World that's on the list. Because I think that is the game that has sort of held up the nostalgia wheel of time, so to speak. Whereas like Yoshi's Island in 96 is more of the game at the moment with the sort of the benefit of hindsight, I guess, maybe. Or even just sort of looking back, I think people would just pick Mario World over it. Whether that's the right choice or not is a different matter, but I think it would be Mario World over Yoshi's Island. I mean, having just gone out to bat for this game, I would pick Mario World over Yoshi's Island, but I o- I'm overjoyed to see it here because I sometimes feel that it's forgotten or certainly it overlooked. Is a bit, yeah. Jumping Flash 1 and 2, 3D platformer by Sony for the PlayStation. While Crash Bandicoot is a traditional 2D platformer played from a first-person perspective... It's, 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 an, odd, it's an odd thing to say, I, I agree. I mean, I was just looking, wondering if I'd misread the paragraph, but I hadn't. Jumping Flash creates a genuine 3D arena to leap around and explore. In this sense, it's the closest thing to Super Mario 64 on the PlayStation, albeit with a completely different innovative playing style and only let down by its low difficulty factor and consequent brevity. This is the entry, our first entry in this list, I would say that it has aged like a fine murder. Like this is, it would be Crash Bandicoot now. It, it, like jumping Flash wouldn't be within an arse's roar of this list. I mean, Sony were putting their weight behind Jumping Flash when he first came out, when this weird robot rabbit thing appeared. They were like, this is going to be the next Sonic or Mario. This is going to be our mascot for the ages, a new platforming star. I had forgotten this game existed until I saw it in this list. And I didn't remember it in a... Oh, this game way. I remembered it in a... Oh, this game. Because I genuinely liked this game. I thought it was a really fun game when it came out. It was very bloody easy. But it was something way, way different. I mean, it was... I mean, it had been around since 1994. It was a tech demo originally for the PlayStation, and then it became a more fully-fledged game, and it generated a sequel, which came out in 1996. Both games were available for a while on the PlayStation Network. They did get re-released for the PS3 and PlayStation Portable, and I didn't play them at that point. I mean, I didn't have a PS3 at that point, and I skipped the Portable, and I went straight to a Vita. But seeing these games on this list here does make me want to revisit them. It goes without saying, this would not be on a list today. Nope, absolutely not. But I'm grateful they're here now because it reminded me of a game that was really quite exciting on the PlayStation at the time. Up next, we've got Poyo Poyo, a puzzler by various different people on the SNES, Mega Drive and Arcade. Also known as Super Poyo Poyo, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Kirby's Avalanche and Foul Egg. Not to mention the numerous homegrown versions for the Amiga PC and Mac that may or may not infringe copyrights. A basic concept, join falling blobs of similar colours and pop them. Becomes addictive when you discover the deeper tactics of setting up chain reactions. The fiercely aggressive two-player mode has been known to destroy long and beautiful friendships. Much like Puzzle Bobble, it really, really bloody has. This is a game that's been around since about 1990, 91, and... 
has seen so many different games, so many different skins. They mentioned Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, which is probably the most infamous reskin of the game. It's the one that I know the most. Yeah, it's the one I've probably played the most recently. And it is a franchise that is still around today, not in any small part because Sega in 1998 obtained the rights to the series and its characters and, and bizarrely set up this situation where Sega owned the rights and Compile, the original developer, could continue to develop and publish Puyo Puyo games, even on platforms that Sega were competing with, but Sega would be included in the copyright information on those other platforms. And of course, 98, this is when Sega was still a hardware house. I mean, it was on the Dreamcast run at that point. But what a what a weird, weird state of affairs. I mean, so weird that Sega actually ported Puyo Puyo 2 to the NEC Wonderswan. Wow. Yeah. Told you it was weird. But this franchise has been around forever, will be around forever. Sega Sammy reported in 2021 that the sum of games sold, downloaded, registered IDs, etc. over the history of the series totaled 35 million. And that's only of units sold after Sega acquired the series. So 90 to 98, unknown, but Luke... 35 million. I cannot tell you how big the smile I had was when I played Sonic Mania for the first time and I got to the boss level of the chemical plant zone. It was just such a huge grin across my face as this like wave of nostalgia flooded over me because realistically like Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine is really the only version of this game I've ever played but I it's a very very fun puzzle game. Even under the limited experience you've had via Mean Bean Machine do you think this would be on the list now? I don't think so because I just think it would be Tetris instead. I actually think there's room for both. I genuinely think there's room for both because You look at where Tetris is now and what it's done with things like Tetris Effect or Tetris 99 on the Switch and this, that and the other. Puyo Puyo is still mostly fairly pure. Tetris has evolved, but I think that means there's actually room for Puyo Puyo. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Up next, Link Up Ridge Racer, Brackets Revolution, Car Sim, Namco, PlayStation. A boy racer's dream, fast expensive motors and twisty roads in an exotic holiday location. It was the professed realism and manual gear change that complemented Ridge Racer's state-of-the-art graphics, and only the lack of circuits, inexcusable in Revolution's case, can scupper the long-term appeal of the two-player Link Up. So this is specifically, again, this is the multiplayer version of Ridge Racer as opposed to the solo experience of playing Ridge Racer. And even then, when they're talking about it, they're still not, like, particularly kind to it in a way to talk about its limitations and stuff in terms of tracks. But bloody hell, you want to talk about a game that was huge in our Games Master timeline of coverage on the show and this, that, and the other, and it's like the next generation step up. I feel like Ridge Race almost had to be on this list. I would agree, and I think the more this list is going on, the more I'm understanding the difference they see between best games ever and games to play before you die. Because if it's just a game you should play before you die, you don't need to worry if it's going to be kind of, you know, a good 12-month sitting game. Because, hey, you could pop your clogs tomorrow. But you would want to experience Ridge Racer as a game, particularly in 1996, because much in the same way that Daytona USA multiplayer is an experience in the arcade, being able to link up two PlayStations on two TVs and have that amazing arcade experience brought home, it's something. I don't think it would be on our list today, though. No, I would agree. I would agree. This... um... Yeah, the, the time has gone. I do question what they've said about the professed realism and manual gear change because I would never associate the term realism with uh, Ridge Racer and Ridge Racer Revolution. Just, just no. Not unless you're used to driving cars on kind of like buttered roads. Up next, multiplayer Micro Machines, a mini sim by Codemasters for the PlayStation, Saturn, PC, Mega Drive, SNES, and more. With the Codies making versions and updates for almost every system going, there's no excuse for not hunting one down. Tiny cars, breakfast tables, ordinary household obstacles, super smashing great. Ooh, bullseye. I love Micro Machines. I adored this series when uh, the Mega Drive, I, you know, I've professed on this series before my love for it, but also admitted that I thought it was a Mega Drive franchise that then got ported to other things as opposed to it being, you know, on other systems first. But this was a big Mega Drive thing for me and I absolutely adored it so, so much. I think it peaked with Micro Machines too. I know there were good games that came after and I think I may have even said I actually really had a thing for like the first PlayStation game, but the more I've gone back and looked at it since, Micro Machines 2 is where it at. And not just because of the Violet Berlin cameo. Do I think it would be on the list now? Possibly. 
because what racing game has taken its place for multiplayer arcade fun like this? It certainly is unique in its own right but like yeah whether or not it'll be on the list now i'd like to think that it would be like specifically like micro machines 2 or micro machines 96 but i don't know if it would feature on a on a modern day list i don't think it would but i would like to hope that it could i would love to see a modern iteration of micro machines still primarily going for the top down take some of the stuff that was done for hot wheels unleashed because that is a really really fun 3d racing game but the cars look like toys, like the way the light is on them, the paint, the decals, the wheels and everything. And it's just, they look real, but they look like real toys. And I would love to see that out of a Micro Machines game now. Imagine a Micro Machines game where the cars actually look like Micro Machines, including the little dings or the bubbles or the mis slightly misaligned decals, if you could get them to sign off on that. I think that'd be great. It'd be wicked. And it would not sell because kids have moved on and we're old, Luke. It'd be for us and us alone. We'll use some of that fat Patreon money to pay developers to make it. Adidas Power Soccer. Footy. Psygnosis. PlayStation. Perhaps less realistic and less bugged than the steadfast Actua Soccer, but with dollops of accessibility caked between its studs. Ooh, good analogy there. With so many 3D footy titles around, it's going to be a matter of taste at the end of the day. Des. Nice little Des Lynam bit at the end there. That's tasty. It's, um, I mean, spoilers for the rest of this list. No FIFA. And I think it, had this been a modern day list, it'd have been a FIFA game. I am shocked we don't get a FIFA 95, particularly that Mega Drive iteration. I mean, there is another football game to come and I entirely understand why it's there and it deserves to be. But it is nice to see a game that I guess at the time it was a big deal Adidas Power Soccer because also it had Adidas attached to it it had that big brand recognition they were you know they were a big name everyone knew who they were they had their trackies and trainers yeah corner massive but Luke guess what what's that Sega Saturn version was ported by Perfect Entertainment and was super super close to completion and it was then cancelled interestingly even though this was ported across to the Saturn and it was almost complete all of the sounds in the game had to be completely redone because they were all copyright of Psygnosis and therefore at that point, Sony. Up next, it's a big one for our current day timeline. Resident Evil, the 3D adventure by Capcom and Virgin for the PlayStation. Out of ammo in a mansion full of zombies? Typical. A bean-brained plot with embarrassing dialogue, but drawing on the best elements of Fade to Black and Alone in the Dark to create a truly scaresome 3D adventure with claustrophobic camera work. The puzzles won't take long, but the experience is completely unforgettable. One of my favorite games ever. I think Resident Evil 2 slightly surpasses it. I, a Resident Evil game would 100% be on a list uh, nowadays, and I think it would probably be Resi 4. I think this is one where today, if we follow the structure established in this list, it would be Resident Evil 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, etc. They would just put the series in because it's a lot like Street Fighter. If you like this sort of game, there is a Resi to fit your palette. You may want the classic of a 1. You may want the more run and gun or, you know, kind of higher speed antics of a 4 and so on and so forth. There's a Resident Evil to suit all occasions, apart from like maybe city management simulation. I don't think we've got Raccoon City Simulator that yet, although we should. 
Yeah, actually, that's a really fun little spin-off game. They were making so many other spin-off games for it. That would have been a great one. Yeah, you kind of, you spend the first five to ten years just managing Raccoon City as you would SimCity, and then the zombie outbreak happens, and you're mayor of Ground Zero, and yet you still got to make sure the streets are clean. And you've still got to make sure the school buses run, even though the kids are literally eating each other. We're coming up with great ideas this week. International Track and Field, a tap up by Konami for the PlayStation. Big points for the phrase tap up because I know what they meant, you know what they went, listeners, you know what they meant. Included for its retro control system, just hit the buttons repeatedly, alternatively or in order to raise parameters and time the key moments of sporting action. This is the sort of multiplayer game to be enjoyed with tinnies, pizza and a bunch of mates on a night tin. Don't expect much depth or long-term appeal, just plenty of laughs, bravado and joypad wreckage. I find it interesting that they don't specify multiplayer international track and field but they are very much telling you that it is the multiplayer version they're looking for you to to do here because it's about i I mean i love the fact that they describe them as tinnies it's about getting your mates around having a few cans having some pizza and just smacking the shit out of your control pads yeah you you can't not have international track and field at this point yeah it, it would be there then i don't know if it would be here now maybe it'd be replaced it by mario and sonic at the olympics or something yeah, along those lines that'd be what it would be yeah less smashing of buttons more waggling of joysticks i remember owning this for the playstation which is weird because I didn't play a lot of multiplayer games on the PlayStation, so that does mean I would have been just playing this by myself, which I look back on now and it feels really fucking tragic, Luke. Yeah, I can't imagine there's a whole lot of fun or prizes to be won playing this game on your lonesome. I don't know how long I had it for before I exchanged it in, but I'd imagine I probably played through all the events, half trashed a PlayStation controller and then went and got something else. Up next, we've got F1 GP2, a lap up by Microprose for the PC. A bit dry for some, not if you're lapping them up, but if you come over all lightheaded after smelling spark burnt rubber and petrol, then Jeff Crammond's long-awaited real racer will have you ripping out your dad's car seat and placing it in front of the monitor. Graphics so stunning in SVGA that it's more of a Formula One sim than an actual game. I can tell a lot about your gaming history by the way you approach the phrase SVGA. <laughs> was also like I'm, I'm i'm very unwell at the moment and it was just like that was a long old sentence that and it, was, it took me a little while to get through it oh play the health card make me out to be the real villain in all this you won't you won't have heard it in the edit but that i had a couple of runners i had a few runs at that but i this is a sim this is not a race so they call it a lap em up this is a racing simulator you can tell it's by microprose they made simulators. Some of them were flappy simulators. Some of them were drivey simulators. Some of them were tanky simulators. Some of them were whirly simulators. Yeah, a whirl em up. A whirl em up. A whirl em up, yeah. And hey, it was very good. It was made under a license, so it featured everything from the 1994 F1 season, all the circuits, teams, drivers and cars. The liveries were there, but... None of the tobacco and alcohol sponsorship was. Oh, well, that's a shame, because you've got to try and hook the kids in early. Yeah, you need to get them on the Malbra Reds. But, as you mentioned, it had that SVGA graphics, it was an early 3D physics engine, and 
it gained quite the community following its release. It was a big commercial hit and was considered one of the definitive racing simulators of the time. It was a follow-up to the 1991 F1 Grand Prix and it was weird because it was all done by Jeff Cramont. This was almost a one-man team that worked on this. And at the time, if you think of like some of the quotes I threw earlier were from lead designers and we, you know, development teams. And you look at the history of some of the other games on this list, Doom, Quake, Yoshi's Island, so on and so forth. This was a one-man gang, baby. And it would not be on our list now because it would just be Gran Turismo instead because that becomes the definitive racing sim. Or Forza, not Horizon. I don't even feel I should have to read the next paragraph because all I need to say is Tetris. Puzzler, bulletproof software, everything. An idea so simple and yet so compelling that large numbers of ordinary folk rushed out and bought Game Boys purely for this. It's surprising, therefore, that console versions and decent two-player modes are so thin in the ground. When later games messed up the formula with colours, magic blocks and explosions, they inevitably corrupted its sweet purity for the worse, a lesson to us all. One take. But, basically, it's fucking Tetris. It's Tetris, mate. You can play Tetris on the Game Boy, you can play Tetris 99 on the Switch, you can play Tetris Effect on the PS4, the PS5, the Xbox, the PC, whatever you want, it's Tetris. At the base level, it's the same core game, and it is probably my most played game ever. This, I mean, me too, and this would 100% be on a list in 2022. It'd have to be. I know, even now, and it boggles my mind to admit this, that there are some people that are just like, I don't like Tetris. And you know what? That's fine. But I would take exception with someone that tried to say Tetris is a bad game. Yeah, because that's not that's not true. No, it is categorically scientifically not true. There, there, there are probably papers out there that show, in fact, Tetris has been used in scientific research to do with brain receptors and sleep and dreams and like sleep patterns and all, you know, things that I wish I had, like like deep sleep and nice dreams but tetris was used in those experiments uh they're absolutely right the sequels like the ones that are called tetris 2 oh terrible terrible games tetris is like part of pop culture lexicon like if you are putting a suitcase if you're packing a suitcase for a holiday you will tetris your way into it because you want to make sure you've got everything packed there are times when we've been moving and i've been arranging stuff and kind of like boxing it together and maybe sometimes I've even taped out the area I know that I will have to fill with stuff and like and yeah you talk about Tetrising it I've even made jokes about going how all those years playing Tetris finally paid off I love Tetris Tetris I think loves me it's an entirely symbiotic relationship up next it's an Elder Scroll game Daggerfall an RPG by uh, Virgin and PC everyone remember Damocles the novelty here that Daggerfall uses a 3D engine to portray its fantasy world, thus letting you run around in a very free-form adventure and explore in Doom fashion. You'll never see the sunlight again. Oh god, this is another weekend eater. This is worse than Civilization. But yeah, this is the Elder Scrolls 2 Daggerfall open-world action role-playing game in the first person. It's Bethesda Softworks. 
Don't know what happened to them. I'm sure they just closed up shop and never made anything meaningful after this. But it was the second game in the Elder Scrolls series. It was released in 1996, so this is a really recent edition. It was September 96 at that. It followed on from 1994's The Elder Scrolls Arena, and the story follows the player sent by an emperor to free the ghost of a king from his earthly shackles and discover what happened to a letter sent from the emperor to the former queen of Daggerfall. Uh, I've never played an Elder Scrolls game. I was actually really looking forward to playing an Elder Scrolls game, and I was probably going to do really well until I took an arrow to the knee. I understood that reference. And that is everything you need to know about the Elder Scrolls, because even though you've not played Elder Scrolls, even though I've not played, or at least the Elder Scrolls that that line comes from, we know about it. It's a series still around today. This game would not be on the list now, but... Skyrim would. Yeah, and, and Oblivion might have gone on there as well. It is worth noting that Daggerfall realised a game world that was roughly the size of Great Britain. Like 209,000 square kilometres. There were 15,000 towns and a rough population of 750,000. The idea behind this game, said one of the designers, was that like a pen and paper role-playing game, you could play for years. You know, keep the same characters, keep on doing stuff, but you didn't have to have any real friends. I made up that last bit. But it was a immense, massive game. And even if it wasn't going to be on a list now, Elder Scrolls deserves to be there. Yeah, an Elder Scrolls game would be on a list now. Sensible Soccer. Finally. Footy by Sensible Software for all the 16-bits. Not just some of the 16-bits, Luke. All of them. Tiny blokes viewed from overhead may look and sound unsophisticated, but this is its charm. With so much more of the team visible at any time, you'll discover a daren't-even-blink passing and tackling game that makes some 3D titles look like a Sunday morning friendly. Sensible world of soccer on formats that take it is even better. Yes, and yes, we've both got a modern copy of Sensible Soccer. It's on our Evercades. It's Sensible Soccer, Luke. It had to be on this list. Dominic Diamond is still involved with Games Master, which means he's tangentially involved with Games Master magazine. Since he had to be on this list. And I would say it deserves to be there now because even its own recent iterations are not as good as Sensible World of Soccer. Sensible World of Soccer was essentially the tits. It was just top, top tier. I love Sensible Soccer. It's great. It's fun. The only sad thing is, and this is primarily because, of course, we've recorded virtually everything for the past few years remotely is we haven't had the chance to sit down with one other evercade or the other and have a kick around because sensible soccer can be fun as a single player but and i can't believe they didn't say this here it's a game that really really lives and breathes by its multiplayer aspect up next we mentioned it earlier networked marathon a first person blaster by bungie for the mac and pc shortly Beside owning superior but less popular computers, Mac gamers have also enjoyed this technically sexy but little-known doomster with an engaging storyline about a rampant AI and alien invaders, full up-and-down mouse-targeted 3Dness for control freaks, plus the ability to save movies of your finest death matches makes it a multiplayer treat. The last bit is pretty cool, and that is way ahead of its time when you think about it, because it's easy oh, for yeah. us to do now on the PlayStation or the Switch. I mean, modern consoles have this thing where you just hold down the capture button and it will recapture the last 45 seconds of play so you get the improbable death you hold down and you know you can just trim that into a nice little 
like I don't know TikTok sized bike. TikTok, that's the thing with the kids. What whatever, whatever the kids do these days. Yeah, uh, vines, vines. I think it is vines. Yeah, that that's definitely it. But this is clearly here because they have Max in the office. Because I bet you Max are used for the design aspect of the magazine. Oh, if yeah. they've got Max, they're going to be Max with a bit of oomph. Therefore, they are Max that will be capable of playing marathon. They'll be networked because they're Office Max. They're sending files about. They're sending files to printers. They're printing proofs and all this stuff. So you're gonna do it. Someone saw it, thought it looked great, and played it a lot. And they're not wrong. Because they say Networked Marathon, and it's here in this magazine in 1996. But Marathon was released in 1994. December 94. So we're two years old at this point. It's got, you know, just Mm. as much lineage it's got just as much lineage as Doom, especially because 95, we got Marathon 2. 96, we got Marathon Infinity, which is ironic when you consider what one of the more recent Halo games was called. And, I mean, this game even got released for the Apple Bandai Pipit. Bloody hell. Yeah, you remember that, the Apple video game console, when Apple were going to take over the gaming world before they eventually realised, no, we'll just wait until everyone's got one of our phones and do it that way. But it was a big deal and i remember playing marathon on like one of my earlier macs i mean it was still some few years after this point but i remember playing it and going oh this is actually pretty good but the problem is i also had access to a pc at that point and i had the playstation Mm. and so it wasn't quite as much of a wow and also i didn't have the networking capability i think maybe that's where it was missing i mean this was macintosh's answer to doom It was a first-person shooter. It was a killer app for the platform at the time. And in 2012, Time did name it as one of the 100 best video games ever released. So maybe, just maybe, it earns its place here. Although that was Time magazine. They're not known for their video games criticisms. They're not known for their kind of video game critique. I guess I can understand why this game is on the list now. I guess I can understand why the game is on the list in 1996, particularly because it is a rare example of a Mac game that is not just ported to the Mac. Wouldn't be here now. It would be be a a Halo Halo game instead. Yeah, absolutely. Virtua Fighter series. 3D punch-up, Sega, Saturn, Arcade. A veritable classic, Virtua Fighter kickstarted the whole 3D fighting business with an incredible range of subtly different moves and the harshest, crunchiest physical contacts ever felt. If your Saturn didn't come with Virtua Fighter, treat yourself to Virtua Fighter 2. It had to be on the list. It had, it, we've spoken at length on this show. It's not for me as a series, but totally has to be on this list. Virtua Fighter 3 is very close to us now. We've got it coming up on an episode, and spoilers, we're going to have a guest for that episode if it all works out. But both me and our upcoming guest have said could actually try and get a bit better at Virtua Fighter 3 before we have to talk about it. And I am trying, Luke. How's it going? I'm trying, Luke. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've talked about Virtua Fighter 1 and 2. We will talk about Virtua Fighter 3, so we'll skim over it for now. But I think Virtua Fighter would have a place on the table now because if Street Fighter deserves a place at the table, if Tekken series deserves a place at the table the Virtua Fighter series deserves a place at this table as well. Up next, it's Zelda 3, A Link to the Past, RPG Nintendo SNES. 
So now that I've used the flippers to find the hookshot, I can go back and cross the chasm on the mountain where I saw a heart piece. And before you know, you're completely and utterly hooked on Miyamoto's classic RPG, an overhead Mario with puzzles galore. Not sure I agree with that final sentiment there, but I agree with the rest of it, that it is a game of exploration, solving a puzzle, going back and solving other puzzles, and, and getting other rewards off the back of that. It says a lot about my association with this game now, where as soon as I read Zelda 3, A Link to the Past, in my head I was just like, Hi Games Master, can you help me? And just, that was what it was for us. It was like every smegging consultation zone was a kid asking for help. But this is my favourite Zelda game. And I think it always will be because it was the first Zelda game I actually really sat and just sunk into on the yeah. SNES and played way later than I should have and for way longer than I should have. An entire Saturday has disappeared. And I didn't just play it once. I played it again and again and again. It's a great game. Yeah, I mean, I've said on the show before, it's Link's Awakening for me, but that's because that's the one I had on the Game Boy, and that's the one that I sunk the most hours to and lost multiple summers to. But Link to the Past is an incredible game. It's the best of the early Zelda games, like the non-3D Zelda games. It's easily the best of the lots. It deserves to be here, and I think it would deserve to be on a modern list. It'll be on a modern list. And if it wasn't Link to the Past, it would just be Ocarina of Time. Or actually probably Breath of the Wild now at this point. Like, that's the problem with the Zelda franchise. There's so many, like, classic bangers in there now that it would be hard to just pick one of them out. And it probably would be it probably would be Breath of the Wild that they'd pick. I think there's room for multiple entries purely because they are such different games. And I think this is the pinnacle of the classic 2D Zelda. Yeah. If, the, if they had the ability to do... If they had the space to do multiple ones... Absolutely. If they only had to pick one, it's a difficult it's a difficult one to do. Maybe this is another case for a series appearing because there's a Zelda to suit your tastes. Speaking of a series, Sonic the Hedgehog. I can't believe I was the one to read this one out. Platformer, Sega, Mega Drive. Interesting how the Game Gear and the Master System are completely ignored. And where's the Sega Saturn, Luke? Oh, oh yeah. Oh dear. Not so much a platformer as a unique British cultural event. Sonic replaced Space Invaders as the stock phrase old gimmers used to describe any video game ever. Incredible speed, inventive level designs, and you really ought to have played at least one game in the series. I love the phrase gimmers. Yeah, which makes me think that this is, because it looks like this is just Sonic the Hedgehog on its own. But then they do later on say that you need to play at least one game in the series. This is the one I was going to, I mentioned earlier, I wanted to bring up. Because for me, like, it's not just the first one, it's also two three and knuckles even sonic spinball if, if you want because i think that each game improves upon the last and i think it would be a, we a weird list to just include the one sonic the hedgehog it's also our first proper mega drive game on this list and it deserves to be here and i think in a current list it should still be here. Maybe go with series. Honestly, obviously the Sonic Adventures, the Sonic the Hedgehog, the Shadow the Hedgehog. Mm, depends what you like. Sonic Mania, obviously great. The new Sonic game. Weirdly, EGX is going on as we record this, and I'm seeing positive things coming out of it about the new Sonic. I, I am as well, but I'll, I'll reserve judgment because I'll tell you, Ash, I heard positive things about Sonic 06 before it came out as well. 
I will reserve judgment as well. I, I'm mainly surprised because the people, some of the people I'm seeing saying positive things about it are people I was genuinely expecting to go, oh, this is dog egg. I think if this was a modern day list, Sonic 2 would probably be the game that ends up on there. Because Sonic 3 is an incomplete game. Unless you, know, unless you had it as Sonic 3 and Knuckles, it's Sonic 2 that will probably end up on the list. Or Sonic Mania. Or Sonic Mania. May, you Maybe. I think, yeah, maybe. I think they'd probably pick Sonic 2, but if it's not, then it probably would be Sonic Mania. Up next, I can't believe I'm the one that's reading this. It's Super Mario Bros. 3, a platformer by Nintendo on the SNES and, of course, on the NES. Again, more for the cultural interest, this was to the Americans what Sonic was to us. When Rip... When Rip... When Rick Moranis asked the Ghostbusters secretary to join him for some two-player fun, he's talking about Super Mario Bros. 3 Luigi and Mario Cooperative Mode. The best thing on Super Mario All-Stars, it's absolutely packed with secret bits and clever tricks that becomes a Nintendo trademark. Also, she's got a name. It's Janine. <laughs> and actually, we didn't mention it from the previous paragraph there, but I love the fact they were calling the Sonic the Hedgehog as this cultural British event because Sonic, you know, essentially takes over the UK in the early 90s with his own comic series and things like that. But Mario was very much an American thing and like Mario was huge over in the States with those various cartoons and whatnot. So it's quite nice though, actually, we got that. And, you know, they talk about Ghostbusters too there. But like... Nintendo became the catch-all phrase to use to describe any video game in in throughout the 1980s or the late 1980s in America. Yeah, absolutely. I, I says a lot. Where I was a Nintendo kid, I had a Sonic the Hedgehog shirt. <laughs> I didn't have a Mario shirt. I had a Sonic the Hedgehog shirt. And yeah, it is. It's Rick Moranis's Lewis Tully going. Oh, do you want to play Nintendo with me? <laughs> and uh, Janine, Janine wants to play with something. But she's not into a pad, Luke. She's after a joystick. I was going to say, very different kind of game she's looking to play. No mushrooms needed. Dep depends on what the weekend's looking like, really. <laughs> if you don't have to go out, maybe mushrooms. Anyway, enough about narcotics. Super Mario Bros. 3, which definitely doesn't involve any mood-altering substances at all, absolutely belongs on this list, would belong on this list today, maybe interchangeable with Mario World, because Mario Bros. 3 and Mario World are the closest related out of those first kind of like bracket of games because 3 gave us the overworld which was also in Mario World the flying ability it was a tail in one it was a cape in the other but they are they are close one is very much an evolution of the other your favorite franchise of mine Pilot Wing 64 flight sim by Nintendo unsurprisingly for the Nintendo 64 learn to fly hang gliders rocket belts and gyrocopters over four huge and stunning islands that show off the cut down silicon graphics machine lurking inside every N64 the demanding tutorial nature of its mission and the piloting examiner method of scoring has actually deterred a few players so it's not for all tastes but you owe it to yourself to give it a fly now ash it's only Pilot Wings 64, not your beloved Pilot Wings on the Super Nintendo. And I would argue the first Pilot Wings is more accessible. So I I would have included either both or the SNES version. Yeah. And I think the SNES version is actually better today. Even though it has like the graphics have aged much more poorly, I think, and it's much more restricted the SNES version. It's a more pleasant gaming experience. Up next, it's an interesting one we had in the consultation zone back in series four 
not Mighty Max, but Monster Max, an isometric platformer by Nintendo for the Game Boy. Brit developers John Ripman and Bernie Drummond bringing a touch of nostalgia to the Game Boy. Classic 8-bit titles like Head Over Heels and Batman may be hard to track down, but this revisit suits the handheld perfectly and will quickly have you cursing. So yeah, this came up in Series 4, and we were surprised it was there, and they did refer to it as Mighty Max, because the kid clearly blew his line. But we, I remember saying to you at the time, this looks like a game I'd really enjoy. And I'm really glad it's here because they mentioned Head Over Heels. They mentioned Batman. There's also Ultimate Play the Game's Night Law. And who did Ultimate Play the Game become, Luke? They became Rare, who developed this game for Nintendo. This is here because it is the easiest way to play a genre of game that pretty much died out with the 8-bit home computer. While they may go back to kind of like 16-bit era in this list, they're not going to tell you to dig out a Specky. They're not going to tell you to dig out a C64, but they can tell you to pick up a copy of Monster Max for the old Game Boy or Game Boy Pocket as soon becomes a thing. And that is going to give you the same core experience and the graphics will look roughly the same. I really need to sit down and play some Monster Max, I think because I did recently play a chunk of Night Law on the Rare Replay collection and I'd forgotten how much I loved that style of game. I loved the Batman game that ran like that as well. Mm. So I am glad this is here. I think it deserves to be here as a representative of a genre that was somewhat on the wane at the time, but I do not think it would be on any list now. And that I is a shame. So. But Night Law might because it is more readily available ef2000 flight sim by ocean for the pc your skills haven't been tested until you've played a game with a keyboard overlay Whew. complicated flight sims are an acquired taste sure but within the ranks you'll find various trade-offs between fun accuracy and complexity if we have to suggest one above and beyond the rest however it's ef2000 you won't be disappointed yeah, it's, a, it's a flight sim it it's a flight sim um I will say we've talked a bit about 3D graphics card recently. Middle of next year, so middle of 1997, it did get a patch, an update that was released that allowed it to take advantage of the 3DFX graphics cards that were coming out. So this is a game which required some fairly beefy PCs to begin with, but also they weren't stupid. They didn't sleep on the rise of the 3D graphics card they put something in to boost it. Up next is Final Fantasy 3, an RPG by Square for the SNES, but only on imports, not for you marketing managers. A turn-based fantasy with an operative plot in which little cutesy sprites somehow managed to convince you that they live real lives of pain and glory. Despite the fact of a UK release, boo, this game spawned an entire underground to devoted European fans. So roll on, Final Fantasy VII PlayStation, we say. Brackets, you're fired, I say. Ed. <laughs> yes, because roll on is R-O-L-E as opposed to R-O-L-E. Double L. Yes, but this is Final Fantasy 3, but it's also Final Fantasy 6. It was a third Final Fantasy game released in North America, but the sixth game released overall because there were some games that we just did not get or were released under different titles or this, that and the other. It's a great game. It, it is. is. It would not be on the list today because other Final Fantasy games have come out that are better. If Final Fantasy 7 would be the one on the list. Let, let, let's be honest, yeah. it would be Final Fantasy 7. And if you wanted a more classic Final Fantasy style of game, it would be Tactics of some kind. And 
yeah, even though seven is obviously just around the corner and is really going to take the glory, this game was not done. This game got ported to the original PlayStation itself in 99, Game Boy Advance got a version in the mid-2000s, and the SNES version was re-released on the Virtual Console and as part of the SNES Classic Edition in 2017. I actually got that uh, PlayStation 1 re-release many, many years later when I really fell in love with Final Fantasy VII and was then very excited for Final Fantasy X. And yeah, I got Final Fantasy VI when it came out on the PlayStation. Bought it day of release, in fact. I was that excited to play it. How'd you get on with it? I really like it. It's it's not... I I didn't enjoy it as much as I did 7 or 9, but I did really, really enjoy it in the end. Mortal Kombat series, a gore-em-up by Williams for the arcade PC, PlayStation, Saturn, Amiga, SNES, Mega Drive, etc., Love it or hate it, everybody should play a Mortal Kombat game at least once to see what all the fuss is about. The forthcoming Mortal Kombat trilogy will be the definitive version, and it's only a rumour that a digitised Les Ellis appears as a necromancer sub-boss. Mortal Kombat, again, kind of like a lot of the other series we've seen in this, had to make an appearance on this list because they've been such huge integral parts of gamings in the 90s, particularly in like the last few years and the Games Master years. I think if it was a modern-day one now, like a modern-day list... Maybe they would have picked one of the more modern-day Mortal Kombat 10 or 11 or something along those lines. Or maybe they would just put up Mortal Kombat Trilogy. If you're going to go with the classic 2D style, I would say, yeah, Trilogy. Absolutely. Although, we st- for all the DLC characters they've released for modern Mortal Kombat's, Luke, still no Les Ellis. Oh, it's a real shame. Up next, it's Return Fire, a strategy game for the 3DO, but also on the PlayStation Saturn and PC. Your base contains jeeps, tanks, copters, but gah, only one pilot at a time. So choose well before racing off to blast your enemy defense or protect your own flag in a battle for control of an island. Plenty of clever and frantic missions, but Return Fire is included here for its joyous and loud two-player mode. A 3DO title? And yeah. the thing is, originally, this was, well, yeah, you can play it on the PlayStation, Saturn and PC. This was a 3DO exclusive for a long time. It was developed by Silent Software for 3DO Interactive. And it was only when the 3DO was kind of dead and buried in 96 that it got the PC and the PlayStation port. It's still somewhat unique, the kind of whole multiple vehicle options, but only one at a time. And it is essentially a capture the flag type game. It's known as much for its multiplayer and its soundtrack as it is for anything else. But it is also definitely considered like one of the 3DO's killer apps. I mean, yeah, it's a game I've not played before and, and sort of like looking it up uh, for research for this. It doesn't like as a game I would rush out to play either, but uh, I can see why it's on here. Also, it's just nice to see a 3DO title on this list. We kind of made fun of the Jaguar earlier, but hey, look, the 3DO got a, a specific slot right here. But Luke... Guess what? What's that? That Saturn version never came out. Of course it fucking didn't. It's the Jaguar of Series 5 and beyond. Although a complete version of the game was leaked in the mid-2000s. And in fact, reviews of the game were published, so it was that close to being related. However, the reviews weren't good, and it was considered a very poor conversion of a game, suffering from real frame rate problems, especially compared to the 3DO and the PlayStation. Mate, you're being outperformed by the 3DO. That's bad. But Luke, guess, guess what, what? What, what's that, that? There was a version in development 
for the Jaguar CD. Well, of course, that fucking didn't happen, did it? <laughs> it was cancelled in 1995. The 3DO still had some life left in it when the Jag version was cancelled. Landstalker, a role-playing game by Sega for the Mega Drive. Mega Drive owners now look back on this isometric action RPG and think, cool, that was a bit good, wasn't it? And so it still is if you can track down a copy. Short but sweet. Bizarre to see this on the list. Like, when you think of... Like the the big Mega Drive games of the systems library, Landstalker is not the one I would expect to see on this list published in 1996. It is remembered somewhat fondly. I mean, it may still be available on Steam. It got a re-release on that, and it was on the Mega Drive Mini. So I guess there is still some passion for it. I don't know, man. Like, there's a lot of butt titles on the Mega Drive Mini and will be on the Mega Drive Mini too. It's just, it's just find it really bizarre. And also, it's a Sega game, so it's easy to put onto the Mini. I just find this a really weird entry. Like, this is kind of like, you know, we were talking earlier about the, they wanted to put Marathon in, but they were forced to put Quake in. This just feels like a, I wanted to put this in. I think you should go out and play this game. Like, that is the writer of this article saying, like, you should go out and play this game because it's actually dead good and no one's given it a really no one gives it any love anymore and i kind of love the entry for that aspect of it but yeah if you put a like a list in front of me and said like put down the best mega drive games i don't think landstalker would never end up in my top 10 it's well worth going and checking more details about this game out there is a whole list of changes between the japanese and western versions i won't go into all of them but basically the japanese version was pretty mucky the one I will highlight is there is one scene where a character can join another character in taking a bath. But if he does that, he will be beaten up. In the North American version, the script and dialogue for this scene are present and translated. But they basically put a character in front of the door so that it was impossible to get into the room where the scene happened. So clearly at some point late in development, they just went, yeah, we're not we're not doing this. We're edgy Sega, but we're not that edgy. We're not going to have bath time fun time in a role-playing game on our console. So stick an NPC in front of the door just so they can't get in. Secret of Monkey Island, an adventure game by LucasArts for the PC, Amiga, and various others. A landmark title making a break from previous adventure games by including A, humour, B, no bloody orcs, and C, classy insults. Its success spawned a sequel... Both are to be released shortly in one budget bundle for PC, hurrah, and laid the foundation for another classic LucasArts title like Day of the Tentacle and Sam and Max. It's also very timely because we've got new Monkey Island right now. And I think at this point, if we were going to see this game on a list now, it would just be the series. I would think so, yeah. It kind of takes me back to the early days of Games Master, to be honest, because it was a big one that we had in Series 1. Yeah, it was it was up there with Zelda for for making appearances and and I remember the Monkey Island games fondly. They've aged very well. They're still well loved now. And despite some real idiotic behavior from the internet, what a surprise. This new game looks to be pretty damn special and pretty damn good. I hope that I'm not speaking out of turn. I've seen a lot of love from it for a lot of people that I kind of respect on that one, and I'm looking forward to playing it myself in the near future so yeah does it deserve to be on the list then yes should it be on the list now also yes but just as part of the greater monkey island series 100 percent. maybe actually skip a level above that 
LucasArts games. Just LucasArts point-and-click games. That's what goes on the list, because then if you don't like pirates, and if you're a bit weird, you can just go straight to Sam and Max. I think, that, I think that's too broad of an entry. I, I, I think if, if I was an editor on that list and you presented to me all of the LucasArts point-and-click games, I'd be like, no, you just pick one of these. We would have to settle that disagreement with an insult battle, Luke. I ain't winning that one, so let's go to the next entry. Speedball 2, fantasy sport by Bitmap Brothers for the PC, the Amiga, the ST, the Mega Drive. Oh, so many other formats that they're not even listing there, including the Evercade. It's not known exactly how many joysticks were destroyed in the two-player game, but this rollerball-inspired smackfest is the most violent and frantic sports game ever, despite numerous pale imitations. Earn points by scoring goals, hitting hotspots, or simply hospitalising the opposition. Everybody knows someone with an Amiga, so be nice to them and ask. I think we talked about this on Under Console Nation, maybe, but I did play Speedball 2 recently in the last few months anyway uh on the evercade and boy howdy do i ever suck at speedball too that's a shame because it is i mean it's a great game it is an it is an absolutely amazing game i have not actually played it in quite a while i think i did pick it up on the evercade and i was okay but i need do you know what i needed with the evercade i needed it on a joystick I think because I was trying to play it on the joypad, that is where I was starting to stumble. So I need to see if one of my retro sticks will work with the Evercade well enough that I actually can get the groove back. I just love the speedballs here on this list because this is, again, kind of what we're talking about with Monkey Island. This is classic era Games Master right here. Should it be on the list then? Absolutely. Should it be on the list now? It should, but it probably wouldn't be. I would argue it should because there is still nothing better. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would say. Like, it's a, it feels like it should be on the list now, but I don't think it would end up on one. And our penultimate entry, Tempest 2000. Shock horror. A Jaguar game has made it onto the list. Spin your spacey thing around the lip of a vortex and shoot the... Uh, nasty things crawling towards you. Jeff Minter's shape-blasting reflex tester is so abstract and yet so pure that trance-like states of immersion aren't all that uncommon. Also, what a soundtrack Tempest 2000 has. I think actually when we kept having Tempest come up in our timeline, the only thing I could really say for it is, great game, great soundtrack. I mean, this was a JAG exclusive, eventually was ported elsewhere. They mentioned the Mac above, the Saturn, the PlayStation and Windows also got their versions with different additions, changes and variations as time went on. But this is a great game. This game deserves to be here, not only as a representation of, you know, what the Jaguar got right, which was this game, but also as a representation of Jeff Minter. Just like a wonderful, wacky weird slightly llama obsessed dude and um yeah i i love seeing this game here i think it deserves to be on the list here especially representing the jaguar and i think it deserves to be here in some iteration on a modern list i don't think it would end up on a modern list only because i think the jaguar is so forgotten by this point and that's a real shame, but actually that's why I really enjoyed this list, because things like this and, and Landstalker are on there, because I just I just feel that these are sort of forgotten games, unless you are part of the, the I don't want to use the word the culture, but if you're a part of the scene, maybe. But I, I'm a big, Tempest 2000, it's the best game on the Jaguar that isn't AVP. No love for Way of the Warrior? Uh, it's, it's the best game on the Jaguar that isn't AVP. Fair enough. 
but last and in a real departure because this is a game which really does go 8 bits or nothing, it's Elite, Space Trader by Firebird for the 8 bits. Warp between systems, dogfight in low orbit, dock with a space station and trade your current cargo for the best local deals. Spend the profit on ship upgrades and repeat the whole process ooh, several hundred times. Something about the intuitive 3D, often wireframed combat, the thrill of making piles of cash and the sense of a real universe out there made this far more addictive than it should ever have been. A current fave on the emulator scene. Ooh, there's a word. Isn't it just? Ignore the slow, dull but big selling sequel and seek out this on your uncle's old home computer. Is an Ortianosia run anybody? I love that this is the final entry on this list. A proper, like, old, 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 old school game to round off this 50 games before you die. I think it's a wonderful entry to, and Presidia is the last one as well. The, uh, also, September 1984, this game was first published for the BBC Micro. This was a BBC Micro game. Never mind having a Jag game on here. BBC Micro. If your uncle's computer doesn't have it, it might be in the school science lab. And one of the first home computer games to use 3D graphics, like in a wireframe way, and it drew from all sorts of sources. There were 2001 references in there, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Hitchhikers, the works of Larry Niven, Arthur C. Clarke, Robert L. Forward, Jerry Pornell, Isaac Asimov, Orson Scott Card, and... Yeah, there are people that are still playing this now. If you go and watch uh, videos online about the ZX Next and like the various C64 Mini Maxi, Elite comes up because that is how beloved it still is today. There's Elite Dangerous out there. There are great games out there still carrying the Elite name, but they lack the pure, unrestrained, just playability of the original. And that wraps up Games Master Magazine issue 50's 50 games to play before you die. Um, it's an interesting list. A lot of the entries on there, I think, are pretty obvious entries given the time frame of the run. But a few real curveballs in there, like, you know, the flight sim that we had in there, the racing game, the, the F1 game and Landstalker and actually Elite at the end there. So I, I, I very much enjoyed it from that aspect. I think more entries in there have aged well than have not, at least in what they represented for the time. There are a few oddities. Yeah, Jumping Flash. I'm kind of looking at you. Yeah, Adidas Power Pro Soccer. You're a bit of a fish out of water. But so many of the other games represent ideas, styles, and kind of core mechanics and franchises that would still have a place in a list like that today, even if they'd been replaced by a successor. When I first went into this and said, let's do the 50 kind of the fifty list as a side quest, not a bonus, not a stalling episode, a side quest, um, I thought there would be a lot more games on that list, without having read it deeply, that would make us go, what the hell by their presence? But actually, the list has not aged that badly. And in fact, it's made me want to go and check out a few games. Monster Max is the, is the best example. Definitely want to go and check that out again. I want to play Jumping Flash again. I don't think I've thought that since 1997. Yeah, it's. I do think it's interesting from that point of view of 
it's amazing how many of the games that were on this list you and I said, oh yeah, that would be on a mod, that would be on a list now. Like that would be on a modern day list. So they kind of nailed it, I guess, in a way. Also shows you how great gaming really was in the 90s. It shows you how great gaming was in the 90s and also how great gaming was in the 80s that we still got those hints of what came before, like for Elite to be on there, for Monster Max because of what it represented and so on and so forth. And of course, Tetris. But I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console, and you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to join us for some real-time feedback, if you want to tell us how wrong this list was to our faces, albeit in a digital way, you could do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found in the show notes. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to UCP Extra, which is this show format, but about other TV shows from the 80s, 90s and 2000s, and our monthly community podcast, Under Console Nation. But at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what is that? At the £10 level, they get our Patreon bonus pack, which is a glittery golden joystick waggler mug stuffed with sweeties, trading cards, badges, stickers, all sorts of retro goodies delivered straight to your door. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Tom, The Amazing Cliff, Super Sexy David Fisher, Simon, Sean, Sarah, aka Pink Lithium, Richard, Reese, Nick, Misha, Matty, Boo, Mark, Link, Kevin, Jamie, Ian, I am Cheadle, Harriet, Mangagirl, Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, Darkside73, Chrissy, Two Sticks, Arcadia, Wild Bill, Andrew, Adam, and Andy. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time for our third and final side quest episode should be take care everyone good night When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.